welcome to the session, a basketball podcast. I'm your co-host, Omar, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ben. Ben, what's going on? Oh man, it's I'm super excited for this episode. I know last episode we didn't get a chance to dive into the Western Conference. Yeah. We went straight talking about the Eastern Conference, and there's just been so much to talk about. So let's talk West. The Western okay. Conference, the Western Con- <laughs> Conference. <laughs> it, it is, you know, the most competitive, in my opinion. You still got the Clippers, you've got the Lakers, of course, the defending yeah. champions. But more than that, Omar, uh, more recently, the Jazz. What's Man, going I'm on sleep. with them? <laughs> I'm I know, what is going I on know with them? We're not about to lead out no, come on. with a spotlight on the Utah Jazz. But you've got to admit, it has been very interesting what's yeah. going on with them. Yeah. Uh, I know you more famously call Mr. Mitchell Donovan Snitchell. Yes. So you already have quite a relationship with with the jazz but i'll be completely honest yeah it's not just this podcast it's not that we don't respect well no i don't think we do respect the jazz um it's just who cares who cares about the utah jazz what are they gonna do for us they haven't done anything worthwhile or notable since that what bubble mania between mitchell and and jamal murray and even then it got quickly forgotten when the league when the Lakers won. Yeah. So run by your thoughts of, of Utah and more recently, you know, how they've been doing up to, yeah. up to this point, they've been doing pretty well. Yeah. So, so with Utah, the thing that comes to mind for me is, are they real or not? Like yeah. I'm looking at the numbers, like they're number one in the, in the league right now, right? They're 24 and six at the time of recording this and their last 10 games are nine and one. So I don't know, man, like, this is giving me serious like Milwaukee Bucks vibes, mm. like stomp regular the regular season, season. Like, let's see how it goes. But did they even do that before? Like Utah, like they always struck me as like a, you know, they're kind of like a six, you know, five, six seed sort of team. Right. So it's not like they yeah. stomped through the regular. This time it seems a bit different, but I'm not able to pinpoint why, what the reason is for their performance this season. Yeah, well, you know, you have Mike Conley, who's making a very big yeah. impact on, on the team. And you have Donovan Mitchell, who, as much as I don't like him, <laughs> has taken, you know, significant steps forward, yeah. right? And I don't want to be lumped into that group of uh, people like Shaq and be called a casual and and kind of disrespect what's happening there. They're playing really good basketball and they're winning in a very unique and weird season. Yeah, I think the bubble was weird. We all understood that, right? The bubble's weird, but this season's also really weird. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what to call it at this point. All I'm saying is I will be watching their first round series very closely for any flaws to kind of, because that's who I am. Like that's a Utah like we know. Jazz. I don't like the Jazz. We know. Yeah. They mess up. They stumble at any point. You know who's going to be there jumping on it. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if we've if we've talked about it. And I'm actually now that I think about it, I'm sure we did. But Jamal Murray and Mitchell, right? Yeah. Those two I found as bub- a, a product of the bubble. Um, you know, similar to the Heat, I just saw them as I wouldn't go as far as saying a fluke, but the bubble had a huge part in their success. Yeah. But more recently, Jamal Murray dropped 50 points on like no free throws. Yeah. Um, and, that, and then you have Utah going nine and one. 
So at one point, do we do we kind of say, hey, you know what? These guys are the real deal. What are you looking for? To say that it's championship or bust doesn't like that's not not realistic, right? That's not fair to them. So with with Utah more specifically, because Denver got to the got to the Western Conference Finals. Would is that the type of jump they would need to go to the Western Conference Finals? Or is it based off their performance if they get unlucky in seeding and they face like the Lakers in the second round, but they make it competitive? What are we looking for to say that, you know what, the Jazz are legit. They're going to do even better the next coming year. What are we looking for? So within this season, as much as I don't want to be the guy that judges regular season games with like that much scrutiny, I'm looking for them to continue to win landmark games like when you go up against the 76ers when you go up against the the lakers when you go up against the clippers like you need to win the landmark games especially when you don't have the the gravitas or the experience right you know like lebron could lose a christmas day game and we're not going to say oh this team's in trouble well some people in the in the (laughs) universe are going to say that but you know they've kind of bought that rep right i don't think this team's there yet they need to continue to win those landmark games for us to kind of get that confidence and one thing that they need to do and you brought up a really good point just there talking about what if they get unlucky with the seating and say they face the lakers in the first round or something like that right who knows like that could happen you know Jazz fall to two or three, Lakers fall to six or seven, depending on how this AD injury goes. You need to win your first round series. If you're the higher seeded team, like you need to win this. This is going to be no excuses there. This is going to be a mark. If they lose right now, their first round series would be against the Golden State Warriors. And Golden State's not a great team. Like they're, they're not good. But at the same time, Steph Curry could win any given game by himself. Like, Mm. that's just how it goes. And you only need to win four in the playoff series, right? Yeah. If you lose 1A, get out of here. You need a championship to redeem yourself, which is what Dirk Nowitzki did. Like, literally, like, we we all look back with, like, rose-tinted glasses and look back at Dirk Dirk Nowitzki and his career, and we love him. But he did blue. He, He blew the first seat, right? And the 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 year before he won. Oh, Dirk's playoff, you know, you know, besides 2011 where he redeemed all of it. Yeah. But prior to that, Dirk Nowitzki was known as a choker in terms of what I'm uh, what I'm understanding um, from the past mid 2000s. Dirk Nowitzki was just not a playoff performer. Mm -hmm. So here we go. Right here. Here's a team that's trying to put themselves in that category. Like, hey, we are a contender. I don't think anyone has thought of the Utah Jazz as a contender these last two, three years, right? I don't think anyone's realistically thought that given the other teams that existed in the league at the time. Right. Now you have Utah trying to insert themselves into that conversation and prove that they're a contender. Well, the way you do that is by a few things. You continue to win the landmark games in the regular season and you don't choke that first round series, right? Like you need to show that you belong in that conversation. And I don't know, like I'm, Last year when we were watching the Denver Nuggets, right? And we were watching them go toe-to-toe with the Clippers and they knocked out the Clippers. We saw that team and we said, this is a team that's going to be around for a really long time. This is a team that's going to be good for a really long time. And then this season started and Jamal Murray was struggling. They're seventh seed right now. Jokic is playing phenomenally, but the team is doing bad. Like, 
I don't know. It makes you think like maybe windows are shorter than we think of them, right? In the moment, watching the bubble, they beat the they beat the Clippers. We're like, wow, this is going to be a contender. They're a seventh seed, right? They're not a contender. So things move fast. Yeah. Things move really fast in the NBA, and especially with social media being as big as it is, narratives are constantly coming out. Yeah. Um, and it goes back to what we were talking about in the uh, in the in the bubble playoffs. Jamal Murray and Mitchell had like a duel of a you know of a of a decade. It was insane how back and forth they were going. Those were very exciting games to watch. But I remember talking like within the group chat and just talking to you about it as well. We quickly sort of forgot about that mm-hmm. uh, because right after that, it was a whole Clippers and Denver thing, and Clippers losing made everyone forget about how close that series was it was game seven it was but it was one shot yeah. that could have sent uh the jazz to go to to move forward within that um within that playoff seating so it's it's interesting to to kind of see how fast things move and because of that i think it's directly resulting in windows shortening as well so in terms of my in terms of my take jazz aren't doing anything uh, this is simply just they're they're on a hot streak in the regular yeah. season. The Clippers, okay. uh, sorry, the the Western Conference is just way too strong for me to believe that Gobert, Mitchell, and Conley is going to make a legitimate uh, push in the playoffs. I'd rather mm-hmm. I'd rather take Denver. I think Jokic is like a one in a you know he's an he's an insane player, and Jamal Murray and Mitchell they kind of seem equal to me. So considering all things, I have Denver higher. Jazz, they're doing really well more recently. Don't know yeah. if it's my personal bias, but I just don't see them performing in the playoffs. Um, they've always been a strong team, uh, definitely above average in the Western Conference, but I'm just not seeing it. I don't know. I'm just not seeing it. You know what? I, I agree. And if there are any Jazz fans listening right now that are getting upset, any Utah fans listening that are getting upset, I'd like to apologize I, I didn't know you had internet. I, I wouldn't have said the things that I said if I had known that you'd be able to hear. But shout out to Vernon Maxwell. Vernon Maxwell. He wow. yeah, he was the one who hates to you who hates Utah. Oh, his tweets are just so funny. Oh my god. <laughs> but you know, this this kind of takes us into a broader conversation on you know the Western Conference as a whole and and how how things are going. We have some we have who we'd expect right near the top. We have the Clippers, we have the Lakers and overall we have what I would say kind of some disappointing performances out of golden state. Like they are losing games. They shouldn't be losing even though they have Steph Curry. Right. So the, the West overall is it's tougher than the East. I'll, I'll give you that, but I don't know. There's a lot of teams that are underperforming what I thought they would be. We have, and I just mentioned, you know, the nuggets, I mentioned the, the warriors. So, no, I, I, I agree. Um, I think the Western Conference has always just had this identity as being a lot a lot stronger. Um, but when you have LeBron, Kawhi, well, I know AD is injured right now. Yeah. So at this very moment, it's definitely a little bit more close. But dude, like when you look at the type of players in the West right now, it's so hard to it's so hard to equate the two conferences. Um, you know, so going going into the Lakers, I know that they're the top seed right now. Uh, they, they, they fell. They fell. They're, they're Are they? Third. Yeah, yeah. They're third seed they're, right now. Okay. So 
that AD injury, that's always been a concern for Lakers fans and for anybody watching the sport. AD is a phenomenal player, but his injuries is what keeps him down. So give me a little bit of an update, like in terms of how long it's expected, when is he expected to be back, and what that means for the Lakers. They need to have, you know, somewhat certainty that AD is going to be healthy because this is a pass-the-torch type thing. LeBron is not going to be here forever. Uh, AD was expected to take the reins, right? So We we don't know. The way LeBron's... Maybe he will be here forever, right? Maybe. There's uh so so it was announced a few days ago that AD is going to be out uh for four weeks at least, which is not great, not great. The fact that they've called it to be at least four, uh, already right this far out in advance. Yeah, I'll just kind of sneeze. Bless you, brother. Oh, thank you. That's that's what happens when we do this live, right? <laughs> um, so out four weeks, and they've announced it this far in advance it's not like hey we're going to reevaluate him in two weeks and then we'll look at it like they're being extremely cautious with this they are saying four weeks and then we'll see right so i think he's going to miss closer to you know month and a half really with something like this i if i were the lakers and they understand this in themselves they are a title contender they are the reigning champions and they have championship aspirations this year they have no need to bring him back right it goes back to what lebron said doesn't matter if he's a first seed or an eighth seed he walks in for a playoff conference he's gonna uh, win playoff uh, series you're in trouble right so yeah Overall, looking at that, I think that's where that's where the Lakers are. But it's gonna hurt, right? You know, you have LeBron talking post game after the run's recent loss about how they need to learn to play without AD, who is the anchor of their defense and a significant part of their offense, right? Their second best player, some might say their first best or, or whatever it might be. And I know he hasn't had as amazing of a season as you know uh, maybe last year or some might have expected in that past the reins type way, but. I think he's been very good and if anything, just a bit overshadowed by how good LeBron has been playing. Right. Right. But it's, it's a significant hole in a team that is kind of weak at that position, right. At, at, at power forwards uh, center they're, they're They are kind of weak. I know they have, you know, they, they brought in Marcus soul, but like it hasn't been what they're kind of looking for. Right. They don't have, the physicality at that position anymore, right? They, they have athleticism, but not so much that physicality, right? So you, you remember um, Austin Rivers, I think, was talking about it last year and just the size of the Lakers that they had yeah. last year, how it was just weighing on teams, how they just could not get through it, right? And how you're like, you got small guys switching on to AD and stuff like that. And that's some, that was a significant part of the Lakers offense last year. And Vogel's done a great job of kind of readjusting this year to the talent that they have on the team. You know, the rim running of Montrez Harrell and, and so on and so forth. But it, it's it changes the identity when AD's not on the court, right? I mean, that's what happens when you take a top seven, top 10 player off, right? Like He is the defense of the yeah. Lakers, right? Like when you look at the type of players that they picked up, it's all reliant on AD being there. Yeah. Like you're not going to expect Schroeder to do anything in mm-hmm. terms of defense. He's going to give, he's going to be giving you buckets. Same thing with Trez. Yeah. He's uh he's a bit undersized, but you're not expect, you're not picking him up for his defense. It all revolves around AD. So Lakers need to be very, very cautious yep. with uh, with Anthony Davis because losing him creates this 
gigantic hole within the entire system yeah. and adjusting to that. Like you, 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 you can't even blame coaching staff or anything. It's like losing your one of your best players in the team. How yeah. do you expect to adjust from that? Especially yeah. when you're second or your whatever you want to call it, like LeBron James is is older and he obviously doesn't want to take on all this defense while also contributing on the offensive end as well. So 100%. So the Lakers need to be extremely cautious and I want to see how they handle this injury. Mm-hmm. Um, whether they're going to just bring him back just to make sure that chemistry, because, you know, there are new players within the team that you have to get adjusted to. So are they going to not necessarily rush him back, but, you know, take their time, but make sure he plays? Or are they going to be on the overly cautious side and just think to themselves, hey, we need AD for the playoffs. You know, I want to make sure he's rested as much as he can be because we need him for the playoffs. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. You see restricted minutes coming. How do you I, think they're going to be playing him? I think I think it's going to be a combination of what you just described. I think he's going to come back in, a, in, you know, five to six weeks. And when he does come back for the rest of the season, he is going to be as they should. Uh, as they should a, a safe plan, yeah. right? Exactly. He's not going to be playing like back to backs. He's going to they're kind of like gonna give him the runway he needs to be safe and be yet ramped up by the time playoffs come right right and 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 you're you're kind of spot on right like the the lakers defense without ad is is going to struggle lebron james is an underrated defender in, in any given possession he could lock down his man and do what he needs to do but he is not going to do that every single possession at night, right? He will do that in the final possession uh, when the team has a chance, to, uh, opponent has a chance to win. He will do that in key moments in the playoffs, but he's not going to do that night in and night out against, I don't know, the Sacramento Kings or something like that, right? right. So that that's that's the hole that you need filled, right? The kind of the kind of influence that the ADs, the Gobert's, and the Embiid's of the world have, where just their presence changes the way the opponents play the game, right? When AD is inserted in the lineup, people, other teams are less likely to even go to the rim for layups and and, and floaters, right? They're less likely to go for dunks. And the fact that they're taking lower possession shots influences how you can game plan, right? But when you take an Embiid, a Gobert, and an AD out, teams are all of a sudden more likely to go for those layups and dunks, right? And and that, in turn, you just lose off numbers alone, right? Because they're taking those higher percentage looks. And you were spot on with what you said about Gasol. Yeah. Like, yeah, they picked him up, but we saw him in the Raptors. He's <laughs> definitely lost his step. He's definitely slower. Yep. Is he that defensive player of the year as he was before? Absolutely not. However, could he be a nice support in defense with AD there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's the reason why he picked him up because he still has the, um, you know, the understanding. He still has the IQ of defense, but his body needs to catch up from time to time. AD is, you know, AD is a, such a huge part of the Lakers. Yeah. If they aren't overly cautious with him throughout the remainder of the season, I would be very, very surprised. And it would say a lot about management of their superstar players because that's silly. Mm-hmm. Like they need to make sure they take care of this talent because he's the one that's going to be taking the, uh, you know, um, the torch from yeah. from LeBron. This will be his team. Doesn't matter when, how, however long LeBron can contribute for. That's fine. But at the end of the day, it's going to be AD's team. That's what they all decided. But, so, but but you know what's? They're in a tough position. I don't think anyone envies kind of the decisions that they're going to have to make. Because on the other hand, yes, you need to look out for 
AD and, 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 you know, kind of give him the runway he needs, as I mentioned. But on the other hand, who's holding down the ship, right? It's LeBron. It's LeBron James in, in, in his 74th season in the league, right? Like, you need to give him some space too, right? Like, we've seen what happens when a Laker organization relies on their best player to kind of carry them into the playoffs. Like, they run themselves into the ground, right? Like, we saw it with Kobe, and I just don't want to see in LeBron's twilight years something like that happen, right? Where he's putting his body in jeopardy for the sake of And he'll of have to. That's the worst part. The he'll have to. Succeed, right? Yeah. With with AD, and 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 that's not the right approach. Yeah. And I feel like a uh, um, LeBron is smart enough to make sure that he doesn't do that. Yeah. But, I mean... It could be, you know, it could be very, very, it could be very bad, man. It could be very bad. He's for playing Brown. a lot of minutes. I I just don't like it, right? Like he's playing single. Dude, he's my MVP right now like because yeah. he's playing like every single game. Yeah. LeBron, just, just due to production and the fact that he's playing every single game tells me MVP. Mm-hmm. And I know we were going to talk about that afterwards, just discussing the MVP conversation. But yeah. since we're just on the topic of LeBron... He's been playing phenomenal. He has. Yeah. Absolutely insane throughout this season. And yeah. it shows that he is the offense right now. He is yeah. the, the team, right? As if he wasn't before, but now he's everything, like absolutely everything. So, yeah, they, I, I think, I think just to, before we get right into the MVP thing, my last thought on, on, on the Lakers here is, they they need to find a way to kind of fill those minutes and whether it is a trade for a big man whether it's bringing back boogie cousins whether it's i i though i don't think the fit is there they, they need to kind of find some way to fill that hole they need defense i've been heard I, I started hearing rumors uh about pj tucker potentially coming in you just need something to be able to fill the role and top yeah. you up until until you're ready to move on but uh, whatever they do, I think we'll we'll discuss their moves if they make any in advance of the deadline, and 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 we'll see from there. But yeah, getting into MVP, I don't think I mean I picked LeBron as MVP of last year, right? I, or, or maybe it was the year before. I am the guy that that believes in in, in this, but. I'm even hesitating putting the LeBron for MVP call out there just because of how phenomenal Joel Embiid has been. Joel Embiid is a force of nature. This man is just dominating every game he plays. Man, his bad games end up being like 30, 10, and 5. Like his bad games end up being that. Just he rolls out of bed and will give you 30 and 10. And it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And and they, they asked him post game. They're like, you know, what are the changes been and stuff like that? And and he said, last year he was talking about. And I'm paraphrasing. Last year he was he was talking about how he wasn't feeling himself, and and uh, it was just a weird season overall. He, things weren't right for him. But this season he decided every single game he is going to dominate on both ends of the floor. He made it a choice. He says that. I am, it is on me. Like we win or lose off me. I will dominate every single game. And he has just been doing that. He had his career high 50 points, uh, carried the 76ers to a win just the other night. Like it's unbelievable what he's been doing. And it's making me hesitate my Braun for MVP pick. What are your so thoughts? I'm looking at I'm looking at the um, at stats right now because I have been a little bit behind in terms of Embiid's destruction of the league, yeah. and he's been killing it. I'm I'm looking yeah. right now. He's at uh 30.5 points per game, a block, three assists, 11 boards, shooting 40 percent, 55 percent from the field. These are these are like Hall of Fame numbers. Oh, yeah. uh, can't get can't yeah. get can't get around that. 
my thing is this, and this is where MVP, you know, it's based off what criteria you have, right? Yeah. And that's why a lot of people were saying Harden over Westbrook in that 17 season. There's just criteria that certain people have to put a certain player above another. Yep. My thing is games played, mm-hmm. right? And I think that is a very big part of the conversation. Yeah. How how often are you playing these games and mm-hmm. how often do you have to take breaks or miss games, whatever the case Yeah. to me, LeBron has, he's what I think about 26, 26 points per game, eight boards. He's losing AD. These type of out of, you know, these type of factors and this context, I'm definitely a context person is why I have LeBron because he's playing every single game knowing that if he isn't there, they're going to lose everything. Mm-hmm. Him playing every single game is what strengthens his MVP um, sort of, you know, title yeah. case for me personally. And Beat's numbers are, are stupid. Yeah. Um, I don't I'm also curious to see what happened, whether it was Doc Rivers just utilizing him more, and maybe you could dive into that a little yeah. bit more as well. Happy what you've noticed. Yeah. Um, Embiid's numbers are absolutely stunning. They are great. Embiid is doing it's just the games played is making that conversation or that case for LeBron for me over Embiid. Yeah. Yeah, I I I hear you. And you know, it's I think we're still so early in the season that maybe over the course of the season, some of these numbers normalize, but like, you know, Embiid's missed like six games, but in a 30 game season right now, so far, that's like a fifth of the season, right? That, that he's missed, but maybe Embiid doesn't miss any more games and, yeah. you know, 30 more games in all of a sudden we don't different care. conversation, we, different we conversation. Care, right? Yeah. So it's uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I think overall, like it's, it's a few things. I think one is, the decision-making from Embiid, the buy-in, where he realized, like, this is his team. He needs to do this, right? Night in and night out. It's a level of maturity that we haven't really seen out of Embiid. He's always been a capable person, but now he's just, you know, they use that term often where they feel like the game slowed down for you, right? The game mm-hmm. slowed down. And you, People will use that term, and really what they're referring to is when you're new in the league or, you know, when you're starting out, when you're making that jump, everything seems so fast. You you make mistakes, you turn the ball over, things like that. With Embiid, the game has really slowed down. His turnovers are kind of at record lows. He's able to pass out of double teams. He's able to see the court in a way that's, you know, unbelievable. Like you, 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 you don't expect a seven foot big man to be able to do the things that he's doing. So that's one thing, you know, the, the decision making and that internal drive for him. Two, I think there we there was this. I loved Brett Brown, but I think there's a step up in coaching, right? And and the way that Doc has kind of been utilizing not just Embiid but the pieces around Embiid, the way he's been trying to stagger some of the minutes. And there's a lot of things that I could gripe about with Doc, but I think that has been a marginal improvement. Other than that, it's the moves that Daryl's made, right, to make Embiid's life easier, right? Like Horford was not making Embiid's life easier for him being there, right? Like those minutes were awful with Embiid and Horford, right? So the fact that he's gotten rid of what was maybe the biggest problem with the roster last year, and he's found a way to fill it with the pieces like Seth Curry and Danny Green that, you know, open up the space for Embiid Spacing. and pass it out to, to shooters and and he knows if I get double teamed or triple teamed, someone's gonna someone's open who I'm comfortable shooting with, right? And that means a lot to Embiid, right? 
he plays a lot freer when when it when it comes to stuff like that almost jj reddick like and and that's the level of happiness that we're seeing with Embiid. so i think those are all important things that have happened and 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 you know i think maybe the biggest thing that's kind of changed is he became a father he had a kid and he's dominating van vliet effect yeah the van vliet effect effect, (laughs) like he is just dominating ever since he became a father so you know who knows who knows but overall it's just been a pleasure to watch and you know coming from i I talk a lot about Embiid, but i don't think a lot of the listeners like just know coming from a guy who missed his first two seasons in the league there were people that were saying he was never going to play basketball coming from a guy who went through so much adversity who like left home at such a young age to come pursue who didn't start playing basketball until he was what like 16 years old like to go through so much to lose his brother to do all of these things and now be the best player in the world unbelievable i could not be happier and more proud of the guy no, it's 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 good to see. I mean, like looking at the looking at the numbers because I have not been watching uh, Sixers games. Looking at the numbers, I mean, like that is those are MVP numbers, right? Yeah. Those are MVP numbers. It's just the other things that fit your criteria in terms of mm-hmm. what you're looking for. Because in the in the same breath, you know, and I wanted to bring this up with you. I saw this, you know, crazy crazy thing. This article where it was comparing Steph Curry's unanimous MVP season with his current season. And you'd be surprised with how similar those two seasons are. Steph Curry is almost at 30 points per game as well. He is shooting lights out. But again, the the, the Warriors are are not performing, right? So what are your what are your thoughts on the whole Steph Curry thing that's going that's going on right now and why shouldn't yeah. he be in the conversation for MVP? Yeah, it's it I I remember seeing something similar along that where he's not getting enough noise when it comes to to MVP voting, but I think I think team performance leaves such a sour taste in people's mouth that it becomes very difficult to vote mvp for that person because you know this is exactly like i'm sorry to cut you off but as we were talking about it more and more this is not exactly because westbrook had that season right averaging a triple double it was unheard of yeah always going to be my mvp for 2017 that's just how it is whatever steph curry lost clay right so lost a significant amount of talent within that team and it's kind of just him to a certain extent. And he's, you know, just trying to do everything they can. And they are right now at where? Seventh seed? Seventh seed? Eighth right now, yeah. Oh, eighth seed. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so there's, you know, they're in, you know, the playoff contention as of right now, whatever. Like, they're in the eighth seed. So it's just it's just crazy to me, like, how much of an anomaly that, you know, Westbrook season was, considering they were yeah. sixth or so seed when he got his MVP. And yep. Steph Curry, yo, his numbers, if you look at it, he's doing really, really well on an individual basis, right? And and I know you don't want to hear it, but I think the reality of it is a lot of people have regret with that Westbrook vote. I think a lot of media members and people have come out and said it afterwards and stuff like that, that they re- team performance does matter. Yeah, they, they 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 got caught up in the hype and they they ended up regretting how things went with with the Westbrook vote, right? And it's it's unfortunate because it was a phenomenal season. You know, at the time we're watching it, we're like, oh my god, never done before, blah blah blah. And then he does it again the next year, and we're like, oh, 
okay uh maybe this wasn't like as unheard of as we thought and we see an overall inflation of metrics around the league and you know I think people regret kind of the the the, the vote and which is why because it screwed a lot of things yeah. up because yeah. right now Steph Curry based off and I can see why people yeah. would be confused as to why he's not there right but what's the difference between that and say a tank commander who's individually performing so well but their team is not performing well yeah. being the most valuable player yeah you know, the whole the MVP conversation, and that's why I was talking about criteria mattering so much to the individual person. Because, yeah. so like for example, if you take, you you know, if you take Embiid out of of the Sixers, how are they going to perform? Versus if you take LeBron out, is that the MVP, the most valuable player? Mm-hmm. But then there's also seeding plus individual statistics how well they're doing with him and without him plus minus all of that. So, and, and and narrative matters, right? Like narrative 100% matters. And anyone who says that it doesn't, doesn't understand, like it's, it maybe it shouldn't in, in theory, but in reality, these are human beings that are casting these votes, right? These are the same human beings often that we see on TV or making hot takes on Twitter or whatever it might be. These are human beings casting these, these tweets. So, narrative does matter and narrative was a big part of why russell westbrook ended up winning that 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 year right the fact that oh you know KD left revenge season like never before done he can do it on his own blah 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 and all those things right so i think since 2017's mvp we're gonna see for a few years at least a pretty strong correction when it comes to mvp voting i think people are gonna be very hesitant because of kind of that sour taste that's left in your mouth when when you look at a team that's performing badly seating wise right so i don't think steph curry is at an actual contention of mvp unless he can get his team to fifth or higher or something like i feel that. like in 2017 yeah. it was that transition and correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like narratives have more recently been a huge part of the uh, of the NBA, like narrative to the point where that can single handedly make you MVP or MIP or whatever the case. Right. Mm-hmm. So I feel like 2017 was like that intro where a lot of people were so caught up in narrative and hype that they forgot what actually makes a legitimate MVP. Yeah. Um, y- you know, because I was just looking at I was just looking at Steph's numbers. I'm like, OK, these are MVP numbers, but his team is not performing well. So what does this mean, right? He's yeah. pretty much, you know, on par with Embiid in terms of individual numbers, but you've got one that's first seed versus one that's eighth seed. It It is, it is for as long as I can remember, been the most contentious award that exists in the league. And, you know, it's crazy. Maybe it's because I don't follow other sports close enough. I don't know if it's like this in other sports, right? I don't know if this level of, of, you know, back and forth and debate exists in other sports, right? Like, like football, for example, it's, it's, I think part of it is because team success is so much more important in other sports like football, because there's so many players, you know, there's so few games that teams are what's more important. And maybe it's because the NBA is more individualistic. We know so many players, we know their stats, we know their stories and all these things. Maybe that's part of it, but I don't know. It's like narrative has the biggest impact in basketball, man. The narrative, the definition, what do you describe? What do you call most valuable? Like 
everyone has a different ex- definition of how they treat MVP, right? So maybe we should introduce two awards. Maybe that's the solution of this for this, right? Maybe there should be a most valuable person and there should also be a best player. Like maybe that's the solution. Out that's of this, an right? interesting one. Yeah. Maybe that's we really look one. at who is the best player and producing the best stats regardless of like anything. And you're like, oh my God, like respect of their peers, respect of the coaches. Like this person is unbelievable. Maybe Steph Curry is that player. And maybe we look at most valuable player and maybe we say, you know, maybe Joel Embiid is that, or maybe Embiid's both. Right? Oh like, man, that's, that's the thing, right? I'm, it's interesting. I'm just thinking in the sense of, you know, like um, in terms of, Imagine if someone from Charlotte Charlotte yeah. drops like 35 points per game or something and then yeah. they get the best, the best player award. The amount of like controversy that's going to stir up, especially considering they're probably going to be like last seed. Like imagine like Kevin Love when he was in Minnesota winning the best player and then it kind of takes away from the MVP in a way where it's just like, wait, I'm the most valuable, but this guy's the best but just because of his yeah. stats. It's It's... It's. I think it's it's worth exploring, but I can already imagine the sort of backlash yeah. that that type of award can bring. And and maybe because empty is, stats, right? Empty, empty stats, stats is what they're going to talk about. Personally, I think for the last few years, how I've been kind of defining it has been MVP, or more than the last few years, MVP for me has always been the most valuable player like who who is if you take him out and put him in who is the most valuable player that can contribute to both individual and team success right i encounter it's kind of all-encompassing which is why lebron james has kind of been my mvp for so long right and there's so many more awards that he should have that he does not have because not everyone shares that definition right they get fatigue and all those things when it comes to voting for him best if it's not a single award, I've defined that as all NBA, all NBA first team. I am fine with They've putting that. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with putting a Damian Lillard or a Steph Curry in an all NBA first team. Steph Curry could be all NBA first team this year, even if his team is eighth or ninth seed. I'm okay with that because that's different, right? That's your individual contribution in that role in that position, right? Not not team success. Let's go back to your definition though, because I want to touch on that a little bit more before okay. we kind of uh, wrap this MVP conversation up. Okay. You mentioned that your definition of an of an MVP is you take that person out. How does that team perform? Yeah, you know. And if you put that person in, how does he perform individually? And how does a team perform with him being there? Mm-hmm. So if Embiid wasn't there, yeah, do you think they would be in a poorer state than if LeBron wasn't there in the Lakers at this very moment? With okay. Simmons still being there, yeah. them picking up more pieces in, in the Sixers versus what the Lakers have right now. So... Great question. I just have one clarification. Yeah. Do we do it under the assumption that AD is is going to be returning? Like it's a temporary thing. <laughs> yeah. See, that's, that's why context all that matters, that, right? That, yeah. That's that's where it matters. Let's because- say let's say right now at this very moment, AD is not here. Yeah. Okay. We don't know what's going on with AD. Yeah. Let's just say right now at this very second, because we're talking about Embiid in terms of missing a fifth of his games and the season has only been 30, uh, 30 games long, whatever. So we're talking this very moment. Lockout is to be Monday, whatever. 
what do you what do you think? Lakers by that uh, sorry, LeBron by that definition, right? With with okay. no AD, it's it's LeBron by the definition. And the reason okay. I can say that with certainty is we've seen it. We've seen in LeBron's first year when he's not there, when he's injured, the team misses the playoffs, right? Yeah, the, the team misses the playoffs and the drought continues, right? Yeah, we've seen because we have similar definitions. Yeah. So I was just trying to clarify that yeah. in the sense that like I'm on LeBron right now in terms yeah. of MVP. So I just wanted to clarify to make sure that we we're on the same page. Yeah, with, I think I, th- I think in that case we do. But you know, if we consider it, it, over this course of the season with AD back and all of those things. I think Embiid, honestly speaking, even though there are more "quote unquote" good players on the 76ers, they're nothing without it, without Embiid, hmm. right? Like that. Uh, that I think, I think if fair AD to say. is healthy and he's there on the Lakers, <laughs> it's weird to say, but I'm I, I'm pretty sure like the Lakers with without LeBron but AD would be a better team than the 76ers without Embiid but yeah. with Harris, with Simmons, with Seth Simmons. Curry, and all those other guys. Yeah, I think that's just the impact that you know Embiid has on both ends of the floor, right? The anchor of their defense as well as the focal point of their offense. Oh, he's been no. Both of these players have been playing phenomenal, and if this yeah. was Benyasin from August of 2020, you have no idea how sad I'd be that we're having a conversation on oh LeBron James and Joel Embiid. That in, I didn't even but take that in. You know, since being a lot more rational with my takes, the and, darkest uh, timeline for you, the man, darkest it, timeline. It, it's a lot of fun trolling, but I also love having meaningful discussion on these players. Yeah. But uh, that being said, um. Russ Westbrook has to be the MVP. I mean, he's in Washington Get right now. Like, <laughs> no, you know what actually be the darkest timeline? The darkest timeline would be you arguing, and I imagine this in a perfect world, you arguing that LeBron is actually MVP and Joel Embiid shouldn't win it because his teammate Ben Simmons is too good. That's why that would be the darkest possible timeline for you. Like you have oh to not God. only argue that LeBron is MVP, but Ben but Simmons is so actually a, an is NBA good. player. Yeah, Ben Simmons is good as well. Troll or not, Ben Simmons is still hot garbage. But uh, we'll we'll talk he about like forty something. That- <laughs> well, you know, just to just to wrap this part of the, uh, you know, I, I guess this up with MVP, yep. um, Embiid and LeBron both playing absolutely phenomenal. I'm glad we clarified the definition yeah. of MVP a little bit more because yeah. we have the same definition. It's Mine true. has always been: you drop them, you you know, you take this player out of the team, how are they performing? Mm-hmm. You drop this person in the team, how do they do individually and as a team? As a because team. of course, if you take Steph Curry, a Golden State is going to be last, but if they're still eighth seed with him hmm that makes you that makes you think a little bit it it makes you think but i uh, kind of in that note not every seed is worth the same like that in my mind the difference between a 12th seed and an eighth seed isn't the same as the difference between a fourth seed and a one seed like i i think each incremental seeding becomes more valuable lakers if it's not if it's not we saw it right with 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 the lakers like if ad is not there and and you know like lebron is not there considering right now at this very moment this team third seed if lebron is not there they're behind the thunder right now they're 13th seed like they are absolutely like 
garbage. Yeah. So you're right. There, the seating is not equal between yeah. uh between between teams for the MVP conversation. Yeah, because because in that case, you could say stuff like, oh, you know, Zach Levine is worth like seven seating points or something like yeah. that, or Steph Curry is worth like nine or whatever. But it's but it's not quite the same thing. It's not right? the like, same. Like like in my mind, in in set in Russ is seventeen here. You take Russ off that team, that team is hot garbage. That's the last yeah. second last in the conference. So yes, it's a it's a significant jump that you have with Russ, but maybe the jump with Harden would have been higher, a little higher, right? If you took him off. So, you know, it's something interesting to think about. It's a thought experiment. I think for the, till the yeah. end of time, people will it's disagree. always going to be a conversation. Yeah, it'll always, it's always going to be a conversation. And disagree about, about about MVP, but. I'm glad that kind of you and I are aligned and we have kind of a session definition of what of MVP believe. because yeah, that will make things a lot easier versus yeah, you know how it was, but uh, kind of transitioning. I know I did mention the thunder before and I really want to talk about them really okay. quickly. Yeah. Uh, Shay is 22 years old and is playing so well. Yeah. Um, and this isn't just a, a, a matter of him being in a very, very bad team and him getting those empty numbers, empty yeah. stats. His decision making has been better. His shooting has been so much better from three. He's almost shooting 40%. Yeah. You know, he's at like about, uh, I believe, seven assists, 22 points. He is playing so well. So if anything comes out of this season, I want to see him. And Teo Maladon, I want these two guys to really develop into the players that they yeah. are. Really like what I'm seeing. None, no one expected the Thunder to, you know, come out of this and have another Cinderella story and be in the playoffs. No, that's not going to happen. But in terms of individual players, I'm liking what I'm seeing. Because Shea is 22. This man, Maz was yeah. born in 98. Okay, and he has had such a huge impact on the Thunder. It's so much fun to see. Another noteworthy player that I am liking is Isaiah Roby. He's been fun to watch right now in terms of watching Thunder games. It's not a matter of winning. I'm not even watching the ball at this point. I'm watching other players to see how their movement is because it's all about development at this point. Um, So, you know, yeah, they're not performing the best, but who cares? Didn't expect it. Just wanted to quickly give a shout out to SGA because he took yeah. that leap. He yeah. clearly learned a lot from CP3 in that yeah. previous season. Everything was perfect with that. Yeah. Um, there isn't much more to discuss with the Thunder because we have a lot of other teams to talk about in the yeah, West. I'll, I'll, I'll but, just, I'll, yeah, I'll just add real quick on that. It really does show you the value of Chris Paul. Where when he's on this team, there's Cinderella story. There is Cinderella story. Oh my god, there, come there, on. Like holy crap, like this team is too good to tank CP3. and stuff like that. And and then when never he forget goes, a service. Yeah, when when he goes, like the impact that he left behind, and he is doing similar things in Phoenix. Like yeah, let's talk about the Suns, man. Right? They're what their fifth seed at the moment. Yeah. Or are they third for uh, let me, let me where they are. Check that really quickly. But as we are talking about that, it seems like Devin Booker and CP3, they have like a mutual respect for one another. Yeah. And CP3 has worked with a volume shooting, you know, heavy guard before he's worked with Harden. So yeah. I wasn't really worried, but there is that question in the back of your head. How is CP3 and Devin Book going to work? Yeah. And they're working. Uh, yeah. They are. There's obviously some growing pains, but overall, I'm liking what I'm seeing with the Suns. But yeah. do we like them enough to think contender? Oh, I think contender is a big, big jump, right? That's 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 where that value comes in, right? So like, in terms of tiers, right? Values, yeah. right? So in yeah. terms of tiers, 
are they a tier one Western Conference team at this very moment? No, I think they're in the tier second two. tier. I tier think they're two. tier yeah, two. I I'm think tier you. one, you have to put kind of in a category of their own, the Lakers and the Clippers, right? I think they've proven, oh, the Clippers not, but just <laughs> the Clippers. Kawhi Leonard has proven. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> like the, just off talent alone, they have to be in that top tier with the Lakers. That's just the nature of things. But in that tier two, you know, when I think about it, any given playoff series, I don't know if I'm going to count out Chris Paul, right? I don't know if I'm going to count I've seen it. You don't count him out, man. You do not, especially the fourth, Mr. Clutch, man. He comes through. Like, who are the other teams that could, right now, they're the fourth seed, right? Who are the, the potential fifths that they could be facing, right? Right now, it's Portland, San Antonio, Denver, Golden State, if they make their way up. Like, yeah. I don't know, man. It Phoenix, seems like Phoenix a pyramid. Could, like, Phoenix we've got the Clippers and the third. Lakers. Yeah those two teams right mm-hmm. at the top and then it's kind of like the rest of them and that's where i'm putting the likes of denver suns portland you know jazz if you want to i i, I guess because there's nobody else there um but they're they're very middle heavy right and then the top you have those two versus the east where you've got a lot more going on it's not as it's not just you know philly and that's it like you've got the nets that you've got to consider yeah, right you've the got bucks, the celtics yeah. that you've got to consider the bucks that you've got to consider it's a lot more equal but in the west it's like you got those two top teams and then the rest of them but yeah i'm with you the suns are not a tier one team they are performing well but they're still they still have a lot to prove the the, the impact of chris paul can just never be overstated shout out to moreau's friend of the pod like I know this man is doing like a victory lap. Like he's been a believer for so long, even when people would doubt CP3 and like it in, in some of the down years, um, uh, you know, Lob City and then and then uh, the shortcomings in Houston and stuff. A lot of the blame fell on Chris Paul. But I think hindsight, Unluckiest is, person. hindsight has kind of showed us that it wasn't Chris Paul, right? Listen, I don't know if anybody... If anybody that's listening to the podcast right now believes in reincarnation, yeah. but if that's the case, CP3 must have been like all this black juju from his past life must have caught up to him because he has the worst luck possible. Yeah, They should have won against Golden State. And they should have gone against Cleveland and probably won a title for both Harden and Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. Injuries have stopped him. Other people's injuries like Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan in the Lob City years. It's always been something, mm-hmm. right? If there's a case study on Chris Paul, it's the case study of bad luck and juju affecting an NBA player. I cannot appreciate And as you said, you cannot overstate his impact enough. Mm -hmm. What he did for the Thunder, the culture that he built, I directly attribute these young guys getting better, making that leap due to working with and playing alongside the greatest point guard, Mm -hmm. Chris Paul. Yeah. Insane, insane player. Yeah. Uh, Just bad luck. Just bad luck, man. A hamstring away from a title, right? Yep. Down to a hamstring. Away How do you feel title. about Aiton? I I know we expected big things from him, like yeah. being that big three, the three-headed monster. Yeah. But it's kind of seeming like it's a duo between Book and CP. 
but book and cp but what i've i uh, from the few suns games that i've watched is their ability to get the best out of aiden and make him play his best version of basketball like he has not been bad he's 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 shown flashes he's he's had some good games and stuff like that and yes he's still he's young he's gonna make some mistakes and stuff like that but the ability for their two guards booker and cp3 to get the best out of aiden I think that like it's unbelievable. Like Aiton will end up having his best years in the league playing next to these guys, kind of thing, right? That's that's how it's going to end up happening. And as a big man who can't create on his own, he's very reliant on his guards, right? So he's very blessed to be playing with kind of these two guys that can that can create for him. That can. I think that's why I was expecting like more. I was expecting yeah. more from Aiden because he was the first pick, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was. So you would have expected, like, I remember, I remember being on the uh, on the cell phone with you, um, and I was just like, kind of like along, uh, like along the road. I was, I was yeah. in my car, and we were chatting about the Suns and how we were kind of expecting something from them. Yeah. And the main point of that was not necessarily like, uh, what's it called, Chris Paul, but we were really talking about Aiden. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Chris Paul is going to have a huge impact, but we expect that leap, that big leap from Aiden. Yeah, we knew we knew what book and CP3 was going to bring to the table, but we were still a little ambiguous on Aiton. So I hope throughout the remainder of the season, I know it hasn't been too too long, 30 games, but I hope he can really gel with them. Right. Really learn some more and play his role and be a huge impact on the floor. Yeah, um, I, I, I think all too often people get caught Aiton up with yeah. is Aiton is the reason they're still tier two to me. Yeah, Aiton, if he can make that big leap that I yeah. expected him to do, we would be talking about Suns and the likes of the Lakers and the Clippers, man. Yeah, yeah, to an extent. But I mean, at the same time, it's like, I think there is value in being good at your position and playing it well. I think him being the number one pick definitely has it going against him. I think in hindsight, everybody yeah. knows that Luca had to be number one that year. Like that was Luca's year. But so, you know, that'll that be something that he'll never be able to over, overcome yeah. because you're going up against the likes of Luca. But there is value in kind of knowing your role, playing your position and playing it really well. Like if you can be one of the top 10 players at your position, like that, that has value, right? That has value that that allows your team to focus on other positions, right? And trying to improve those. Yeah. So Phoenix, like, you know, they got they got Mikhail Bridges, they got Aiton, uh, both of which are playing really well defensively. They have they have uh sorry, CP3 and Booker and man, it's just Chris Paul, man. Chris Paul Appreciation Podcast. Yeah, I think that's what yeah. we should call this episode. Yeah. Just Chris Paul Appreciate. We know for sure Marols will be listening then. Oh, 100%. <laughs> That'll be the only one he listens to. <laughs> oh, man. But, you know, you brought something very interesting up when we were talking yeah. about the first, kind of like the first pick going against you. Yeah. Because the media is the reason why all of this happens right like they have a huge impact with how we view a player now for everybody listening when was the last time you heard zion williamson yeah now compare that to a year ago when zion williamson highlights were absolutely everywhere you see him shot blocking a three-point shot and we're like oh my god zion williamson i got caught in the into the hype but here's the thing he's not even doing bad yeah it's not like 
he's he's obviously not dropping 30 points per game, but it's as expected from a rookie that's developing with his skill set. He's not doing that bad. And this goes back to the theme of this entire podcast, which is the window shortening so much with social media and narrative because now it's all about LaMelo Ball. Everybody Everybody and their mom is just talking about Melo right now. And it's sad that he even said Melo because there yeah. is only one. But LaMelo Ball. That hurt, man. That hurt. <laughs> you know, LaMelo Ball is, is, the, is the talk of the town. And Zion Williamson is not doing bad, but it's a, it's a mixture of, I would say, small market team, but not even that. LaMelo. He's <laughs> for Charlotte, bro. He's like, just Charlotte. Yeah. Charlotte. So I'll never get over is, how you say it. I love it. <laughs> it is so crazy to me how much of an impact the media can make and how we kind of forgot about a phenomenal talent and skill set in Zion Williamson. What are yeah. your thoughts? Honestly, I think it is difficult being the darling of the media because it can move on so quickly, right? And and again, that's not to write off like Zion's future. Like I have my reservations on how good a player he could potentially be and all that, but you know, you look at you look at a player that was so hyped up by by the media, right? You know, second coming of LeBron, passing the torch, all those things. Second face of the coming league. of LeBron, yeah, face of the league, all of those things, and you have a player who you know ramps up slow, gets injured, misses a significant portion uh, part of the league, uh, part of the season. Sorry, um, you know, out of shape, comes back and. The team he's not on a team that's doing well, so all of a sudden, no one starts paying it. No one pays attention to him anymore, right? You you move on to the next shiny object, the new darling of the media, which is Lamelo Ball, right? You see his every one of his assists has a highlight for it, right? It's that's what everyone wants to watch, right? And you've kind of written off and moved on from a guy who still has a entire career to go, right? I think it goes to show the the lebrons and such of the world the burden that they've had on their shoulder their entire career to have those expectations and live up to them is unreal right zion i don't think has lived up to the expectations that the broader mainstream media had for him right and that's why lebron what he did yeah. right is even yeah. greater because yeah. he had that burden on him and he had that and he accepted it yeah and performed, yeah. right? That is difficult to do. So, you know, with Zion Williamson, the thing is, we're talking about the media and it's all the media, this and that. Yeah. But the media needs to work with something. And this yeah. is the reason why I'm bringing this up. Look at Anthony Davis. Yeah. Besides weird locker room videos and a unibrow, <laughs> what is he giving the media? Oh, oh, 100%. Right? Zion Williamson has absolutely no personality. He's not giving the media anything besides gumbo. And that was like a a beam that came out, right? Like, that's just like, oh, Zion Williamson got thick. He must be eating that damn gumbo in New Orleans. So you need to give the media something as well. If you play to the media like LeBron did, he took that pressure on, but he accepted it. He tattooed the chosen one, whatever. He knew that I'm going to, I want the spotlight on me. I'm going to take it. Yeah. Williamson though, what is what is he? Like what does he show, right? I'm I'm so glad you brought this up because I've been saying this for so long. Like 
Zion has got to be the most boring person that the media has tried. Like they tried like, though. Marketing. They gave him so much hype. Yeah. But if you're not giving anything back, yeah, he's he's like, so even a scandal boring. or two. Give me a scandal. <laughs> I don't know. Give me something. Show me you're like a like Lamelo Ball even. Like something was going on with him, right? Like some illegal stuff was going on with him. I like that. I'm like hey, Lamelo, I like that. Give me something, Zion. I don't want to hear about gumbo all the time. <laughs> Man is encouraging a scandal. Listen, as a casual, as a casual viewer of the NBA, oh my God. I want these players to have criminal charges. <laughs> I don't want to take this You're too far. So I don't want to take this too far. Okay, but okay, yeah. you 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 bring up a good point. I followed Zion on IG since like probably partway through the Duke season. Right, he is so boring. He is so boring. Like all of his stories are so boring. It's just like random, like, like pictures of shoes and like chilling with other like rookies that no one cares about and on his team and stuff like that. And I feel for the guy. Like he's probably just like a good, genuine, nice guy. <laughs> you got his life. You got to. <laughs> the reason why I'm finding this so funny is we're talking about. <laughs> we're talking about this man posting shoes and doing this and meanwhile the person that said that takes a photo of the sun every two days and posts it on his story i know i'm boring i know i'm boring i'm not trying to be the next star of the league. <laughs> all right sorry go on uh, go no, on i i totally get it i'm a very boring person i get it but you know that's that's who i am but Zion needs someone to market him better. Right? Yeah, he yeah. To embrace no PR. The, the 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 machine that is the mainstream media, right? You yeah. need to be able to play it. You need to be able to be on its good side and and give it a toss it a bone every now and then and things like that. And Zion's just you had the potential, and it's just like you really need to. Because you nowadays you don't even need to be good to be the darling of the media. You don't even need to be performing crazy on court. You can just have a rep that like oh and and you'll get posted and, and all of those things, right? So overall, like, and you know what, Lonzo's uh, what's it called? What's his name again? Lavar Ball knew this. Yeah. Like we talked, everyone was talking so much crap. Like, yo, what's this gonna do to your player? The only reason we talked about Lonzo, his numbers, he should have stopped being the darling of the NBA after uh, like a week of seeing his numbers. Like this guy's garbage. Yeah. <laughs> but the reason why we kept up to him was like, yo, what you know, what's going on? Lavar understood the machine that is the media and played it. Yeah. But there's only so much you can do when your son is dropping two <laughs> points per game. All right. Yeah, like if your son is dropping seventeen percent from the field from the free throw line, like I don't know what you want me to do. Yeah, but Lamelo, look out for him. You said a week. They should have stopped paying attention after a week, man. They should have stopped paying attention after his first shot. They look at that form. They're like, "This, this, who you want me to read to you? This guy? Like you have an internet bleacher report? Just like looking up, brings bring this video to their boss and the social media manager goes like, oh hell nah, no like, way. Yo, I'd rather no give Leangelo Ball the darling of the NBA over Zion Williamson. At least he stole something." Right, at least he at least he did something where I'm just like, yo, Leangelo Ball. <laughs> Leangelo He's Ball kind of interesting. Caused an international incident. <laughs> like, 
legitimate international <laughs> incident. But man, no, that, you know, taking things oh, wow. a little bit more seriously, like Zion Williamson, as phenomenal of a player as he is, in order to keep our interest, it's no longer, oh, my work does it itself, whatever. Like, at least be interesting on the court as well. I want to see some posters or something. Like, the reason why, you know, LaRusse is not... Even his personality is being rude to media, whatever. That's not even a good example. There are certain players where their game legitimately does the talking for them. But 20 points per game is not it. Right. Yeah. That's not going to do do it anymore. Twenty five. But like, yeah, it's, it, you know, that like just, that just goes to further the point. He's averaging twenty five and no one knows. No one knows. No I don't, one know, knows. I don't know. No I didn't cares. know that. I thought it was no twenty knows. points no per game. Cares. Like no That's one cares. Thing. That's the Nobody problem. cares. And his game before was all that athleticism, yeah. that injury, man. The injury completely took away. From uh from Zion, man, and it's so could have so, had the momentum so going, and people just kind of moved on and and forgot about it. And if he had twenty five points per game, yeah, right when if no injuries yeah. last year, he would have continued to be like this is the second coming, like twenty five yeah. points, amazing, doing well. Yeah, right now nobody gives a crap. Yeah, it's true. He's Sorry, Zion. Games too, but it's just it's consider sad. something illegal. <laughs> <laughs> or or. Have you seen that video of the guy driving uh, uh, with a pot of gumbo on his lap in the, in a car? Have you seen that? The guy's talking to his mom saying, wow, they got no lid. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, if Zion's on something like that, that he's a legend. Yeah, driving to the arena with a pot of gumbo oh, on his lap. man, 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 man. No, it is it is what it is, but yeah. I really wanted to talk about that in yeah. terms of you know the media media's attention but it's not just the media's the bad person here yeah. right the bad party the other party needs to do something anything yeah. to to give back and to keep our interest as nba watchers right so it's true it's kind of like the the power of of social media the power of media in general and kind of the effect it could have on our perceptions of things which kind of like transitions into something that that I know has been kind of on our minds recently and that's kind of around investing and how hype and and things like that have kind of influenced stocks and and the way people have been investing lately with everything that happened with GameStop and AMC and and so on and so forth so I kind of wanted to throw it to you like what are your take on the investing bubble that I think has kind of grown in our generation. It's it's good that you mentioned bubble because right now in this current market, that's what it is. It's yeah. a bubble. Um, you know, I've 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 been into uh, I've been into you know like investing into stocks or not investing. I don't like to say that trading stocks mm-hmm. for um, for about a couple of months now. I do pennies, and for people who are unaware, penny stocks are is anything that's under five dollars, very cheap. The reason why you like stocks like this is because they're extremely volatile. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see that they jump from like 40 cents to two bucks. That percentage is a lot, but you're not going to see that in, in a stock like Apple or Tesla. Like it's not going to that percentage, 40, 50, 60, 70 percent. You're not going to see that. Right. But just as quickly with penny swings or or, or, or with uh, with trading pennies is it will go down just as quickly as it goes up. Yeah. So it's, it's a high stress sort of in, uh, trading style, but the returns are definitely there. So anyways, this isn't a crash course about penny swinging and, and, and trading stocks and all that. It's yeah. about the current market and the GameStop craze, Wall Street bets. So basically, 
what was going on with this entire thing was there are a bunch of hedge funds and institutions, these big institutions that were doing something called naked shorting. Okay. They were shorting a stock, which means you're betting that the stock will go down. Okay. For those familiar with the big short, that's what, you know, Michael Burry did. He shorted against these, you know, like the, the, the mortgage, like the, the housing market. He shorted the, the housing market when it was right at its peak, right? Because he found out all these mortgages were completely BS. So that's what these hedge funds and these big, big institutions were doing with this stock for GameStop. They shorted it to about 140%. This is illegal, okay? This is blatant market manipulation, which is causing... GameStop to not elevate. They're not able to, you know, increase their share price because so many people are betting against it, throwing millions and millions of dollars into it. So GameStop, while other people believed it was at a higher value, because these hedges were shorting the hell out of this stock, it couldn't go up. So now we transition to Wall Street bets. And there's this guy named Roaring Kitty. Okay. Roaring Kitty, who is not a cat, by the way. He found a fair value of GameStop. He did analysis and he recognized that this is a legitimate company. He's not trying to meme this stock or anything. He's been in since 2019, 2020. He's had multiple videos on this. He liked the stock. He purchased something called options where he believes that the stock will rise up. Okay. Wall Street bets caught wind of this because he is an active member in that. And people are telling, look, yo, get out of the stock. It's whatever. But people start to realize what these institutions are doing are so illegal that a bunch of people from Wall Street bets, that subreddit, all came together to continue buying more of this stock. The more you buy the stock, the more it rises. And what this does is something called a squeeze, which is where you are making the ri- making the price go up. But on the other side, the people who were shorting the stock, they're expecting it to go down. So when the price is going up, they are forced to do something called covering their position, which I don't want to go into the technicals of it. But when you cover, you're losing a crap ton of money. Okay. And that's what happened with GameStop and all these people on Wall Street bets. They kept buying and buying and holding. They refused to sell the stock. It made it shot all the way up to $500. Now, keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, this is a, I think when Roaring Kitty got into it, it was around a two to $4 stock. It shot up all the way there. And the reason for it is because they're seeing these institutions blatantly manipulating the market, which is illegal. After all this craziness, not after, during this craziness, what Robinhood decided to do was completely halt the stock. That means no people can buy it, but you can sell it. That's what made people even more mad. They're like, you're taking my freedoms away from me. I want to buy the stock because I like the stock. You don't know whether it's a meme stock or not. I want to buy it because I like it. And this caused a huge stir in Congress. Vlad, the CEO of Robinhood, more recently had a Congress hearing where they were asking him about the reason why he did that. And he has no answer for it. Obviously, there's nothing you can say about that. Mm -hmm. But that's a little bit of a kind of catching up. I'm sure there's there's a better way I could have explained it, but that's sort of a 
brief kind of overview of what happened with GameStop and why the why the market is just so crazy right now. All these small cap stocks are shooting up. Everything is going up. You hear bad news and for some reason the stock will go up. It's weird. It doesn't make any sense, which is why it's a bubble market because a correction is going to have to happen. So yeah. when that happens, we don't know, but this is not sustainable. It's crazy. I, I, you know, so a lot of people were hopping on GameStop almost all too late and they end up losing money and, yeah. and, and things like that. So I, I feel bad for kind of people, but at the same time, like this cause of like, we hate the hedge funds and that's why we're going to do this. Like, it's cool. I, 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 it, it's cool, but I hate it. Like take your, take your battle against the hedge funds elsewhere. You're adding too much volatility in the market. I'm out here being boring, trying to invest for the long term. Like I have like diversified portfolios and you're adding all this volatility into the market. You're just making noise for people like me that just don't want to deal so with any of this. With me and you, Omar, yeah. we are the ones who are happy with a particle of the pie. Yeah. Right, we're like, yo, just give me my crumb, man. Just come on, please, master. Just please, give me my crumb, man. That's all I want. And I can understand that point because at the end of the day, that money is coming in and out of our bank account, yeah. right? You know, um, uh, movement or not, that money is directly affecting us and our livelihood, mm-hmm. regardless of how much Wall Street is making. Yeah, but that's why it's also so difficult to be completely against what those people are doing which is combining the stock because they want to show it to institutions and hedge funds that yo retail investors are here and it has been a complete shift in the stock market you can just download wealth simple and quest trade right now or yeah. weeble or Robinhood right now and get to trading nothing is stopping you with zero brokerage fees or whatever mm-hmm. before it wasn't the case so we are entering this complete shift in the stock market because retail investors are so much more, you know, it's so much more accessible now. Yeah. I, I get that to a degree at the same time. Like I'm, I don't understand the, the whole, like, you know, uh, we're, we're doing this because we hate the big players. We, we do this. Like, who do you think is, 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 you know, uh, creating the trades. Anytime you submit a trade, like wh- what's the high frequency trading firm that's behind this infrastructure, right? Like everyone it's the hedges. Is, it's the institutions. Yeah, it's the same. Like you think hedge funds lost? They probably made overall the industry probably made so much more money off this because they bought calls too instantly when this was happening, right? Or the the or Citadel, the backer of of Robinhood that was like uh, facilitating the trades or something like that, right? Like the same the same companies that lost money got bailed out by the same companies that made money. So it's like, it's a zero sum game at the end of it. And because it's a zero sum game in the end, the people that win are the people that have a bigger pot. Right. And these, these funds have so much more money. You have everyday people that are losing hundreds and thousands of dollars to, to, to stick it to the man and make a message. And I'm like, if your goal was to lose a thousand bucks, like you'd be better off just donating that money where someone would actually get some benefit of it, right? Like your money, you getting in on GameStop at at $90, like you're just losing money, buddy, at this point, right? So, so I agree with the general sentiment, yeah. but there are some things that you that you were incorrect on. Institutions lost a crap ton of money. Like they, there could have been some institutions that were, you know, um, uh, purchasing call options to make, you know, maybe they, they bought money, but those companies that, you know, those institutions that uh, shorted, they doubled down, right? They continued shorting the stock and there have been a crap ton of hedge funds that 
would have been absolutely bankrupt if they didn't halt. And that's what the CEO of Interactive Brokers, another online brokerage Mm -hmm. company said. If the halt wasn't there for GameStop, where people could no longer buy the stock due to what Robinhood did and other uh, um, um, brokers as well, not just Robinhood, if they didn't do that, the market would absolutely crash because because volume was only going towards one stock and one stock only. Yeah. So with that being said, when all of this was happening, these yeah. institutions had to get bailed out billions of billions of dollars from other institutions. And, and you know, but but that's just it, Ben. That's just it. Melvin Capital is getting billions of dollars of bailout. You know who they're getting it from? The same people that are on the call side of things. It's a zero sum game. The same money is just repeating over and over. So yes, at that, that's what pe- that's what money. pissed people off though yeah. the halt if the halt wasn't there they could not bail them out if the halt was not if was not there they could not and that's what the uh, ceo of interactive broker said it had to be done because the market would have absolutely crashed and multiple institutions multiple hedge funds would have been bankrupt so i'm not with you on the zero-sum game part Considering the halt, yes, they got covered. But if the halt wasn't there, and if this was a perfect market where we actually have our rights and freedom, they would have been absolute toast. I, I guess, I guess to an extent, but at the same time, like the behind uh, Citadel is is the is supporting the uh, the trades that were coming out of Robinhood. And every trade that you would put into Robinhood, Citadel was front running and Citadel was making millions and billions off of front running the trades of its people. So it's like, yes, the the halt hurt people. But at the same time, your access into the market is via these big funds anyways. So in the end, it ends up being zero sum because when you look at the total amount of money that Wall Street made, off of this volatility and the total amount of money that retail investors made off of something like this, I'm pretty sure Wall Street's still going to come out on top at the end of something like Wall this. Wall Street right? has unlimited yeah. money. Yeah. That's the thing. Like uh, all these all these politicians, and, and this is what I meant by, I generally agree with your sentiment, but yeah. not all the way because I see where you're coming from. Yeah. But my thing is this, the people from Wall Street bets average age at around like maybe 18 to 22 or something like that right they're they're younger they're they're gen z people right gen z this whole generation is about action so they're not content with this is a zero-sum game they're gonna get bailed out anyway they're like yo let's change that what are we doing right what are we doing then let's stand up and change that let's revolt against this right they're not in the mindset that nothing's gonna happen anyway they're on the mindset of yo let's do something right now right look at yeah. last year in the summer with with uh, with BLM protests there was a lot going on in support of that because this is the generation it's about action and not just oh, nothing's going to happen anyway and yeah. i think that's the main reason why people were doing it in the first place is because we were talking we always talk about sense of belonging people wanted that but they legitimately felt so it was it was blatant market manipulation. I can understand their frustrations and their mindset is, yo, we can change it. This is a new era of stock trading. We can change the fact that it's not just going to be institutions running everything anymore. We have the numbers, we have the volume. And to be completely honest, as big as the hedges are, retail investors made their voices heard with what they did. 
considering they had to completely halt the stock and that the spy was completely tanking and all these you know everything was so uncertain and 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 all of that it showed me and i think it showed the uh, hedges as well that yo these guys are for real these guys mean business however considering all of that everything that i've just said which makes me sound very pro whatever i will say this to me and i share the sentiment with you the big boys will always win yeah. Because Wall Street has unlimited money. Regardless of the volume, I am in the personal belief that it doesn't matter. We've tried. Yeah. We did everything we could. Like, it doesn't matter. You, you know what the outcome of this is going to be? You know what every big hedge fund, every big institutional investor is now doing? Let me, get, let me. They're all pissed. And they're all saying, let me get into uh, online brokerages. Let me. Let me support let me front run all these brokerages so the next time they can be the next citadel right they can be the next so that that's what they're all going to do they're all going to invest into these direct to consumer direct to retail investor platforms the new robin hoods of the world and stuff like that so every access point that the that a retail investor has is backed through one of these institutional funds so their exposure is covered that's how you diversify right that's how you hedge yourself in the future right if this is a problem area well let's just nip it at the bud at every single way that they can access the market. Right. And, and that's, and that's what they're going to do. So your next future uh, battle that you do, whether it's through Wealthsimple or Equestrate or whatever it's going to be, you're just going to be supporting the same industry that you're trying to fight a battle through. Right. It's like, the, the main thing is the fact that the big boys are going to win. Yeah. Right. These big institutions, they're in bed. There, there was this thing that my brother had shown me, which I thought was so interesting. It's a Senator, right? Yeah. The, they, they were able to get access to like his uh, his personal investments, the way that he buys and sells the stocks that he currently has. And what they found was it goes directly, Omar, with the Dow. OK, mm-hmm. so with the major index based on how the overall market looks, he somehow knows when to sell his stocks and he somehow knows when to buy that's a lot of crap. It's because he's in bed with Wall Street. All these institutions are in bed with, you know, these politicians that they have. The same people in Congress that are slapping the wrist of Vlad is the same one who's getting donation money from the hedges that they're yelling at right now. And that's the fact of the matter, right? So it was a I find that it was a worthy attempt and I think it was really interesting. However, it's it's too it's too big for our peon minds. And I sound like such a millennial when I say that, but we don't understand the length of the stock market. Based off what I've heard, there's like specific codes. We don't understand what's going on. And I wish that wasn't the case, but they've shown time and time again that they are always going to win at the end of it all. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, I'm down 50% in my, in my GameStop stock, <laughs> oh and I would love God. some. No, I'm just kidding. I did buy uh, games. I did. Uh, I'm sorry to everybody listening. I did buy GameStop. I bought AMC because it was cheaper, and I made a quick buck off it. I made some profit, but hey, 
I tried to support the cause as much as I could, but hey, it's my bank account at the end of the day. Hate Look, me if you want. I love the cause and I, and I love all that at the same time. But then I think back to like when I was in fourth year and I was applying to hedge funds and, and stuff like that. So like I am not like the right person for this. Dude, I have a background in finance, man. This, this <laughs> like I am I am what everyone hates. Like I, I sympathize with the hedge funds. <laughs> oh my God, get him. Get this guy. I and now after this bro. episode, the session, the ba- a basketball podcast is the lowest rated podcast between everyone Look, that's 22 and younger. Hedge funds, if you're listening, sponsor us. We will never say a bad word about you. Citadel, if you're listening, good job. No, <laughs> man, what do you expect, man? I, I'm surrounded by accounting and finance. I understand, man. I understand. But it was very interesting just to kind of wrap this whole thing up with 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 stocks and how the stock market looks. It was interesting to see something that not uh, the most experienced traders haven't seen. Right. Because they haven't dealt with retail investors. They haven't dealt with Jerry at 18 years old buying a crap ton of GameStop stocks with their mother's wallet. Right. They have they have no idea how to handle things like this. So the entire thing was really interesting. I can understand both sides. Mm-hmm. However, for everybody that's, you know, thinking of investing, whatever, learn first, learn as much as you can yeah. and stay away from things like this, because at the end of the day, it's your money. Okay. Yeah. Don't it's your money. Don't invest anything that you're not kind of willing to, to lose. To, to lose. You're right? going to lose it all. When, if, when it yeah. comes, when it came to the GME hype, like people were getting into it because they thought they would make money. That's the wrong mentality to have. If you're doing it because you have money to burn and you want to stick it to the, stick it to the man and show them that, you know, you're going to take it to the moon or whatever, like do it. Like that's your money. Do it. I mean, I think there's better ways to use your money that'll help more people, but whatever, man, that's your money. I'm not going to pocket watch. Spend it, but like I feel bad for the people that were like uneducated and tried to get on this as a way to make money, right? Like, yeah, they lost a lot of money. There's like a lot of stories you see it on Twitter, and so people that are down thousands and thousands for regular people is a lot of money, right? Like, but that being said, if you were in it for the money, yeah, okay, in a way, you kind of you, you kind of had you had it coming yeah. if you were here buying GameStop for a profit at $300. Yeah, you deserve what to lose your money. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Right? Like, if you're in a stock that went like up twenty bucks, like what do you? If doing? you went into a stock that went up fifty to seventy-five to a hundred to two hundred percent, and you're in it for the money, you deserve to lose every single penny that you've lost. Yeah. Right. Facts. But if you're in it for the cause, that's completely up to you. Whatever. Yeah. I'm not just. I can understand again where you're coming from. But if you're in it for the money. Now that pisses me off, especially if it goes against every trading principle that that there is. You don't yeah. want to chase stocks that went up 10%, let alone 100%. Yeah. So that's silly and you deserve to lose that money. I'm sorry. I don't know what else yeah. you, what else there is to say. But yeah. uh so, you know, I guess to to kind of put a put a bow on this and and I wrap, as we wrap up is uh Zion, if you want more media <laughs> partner with the hedge funds you know? get get into a scandal market Zion, whatever it might be Zion, if you say gme to the moon in an instagram story that doesn't have to it doesn't even have to stay it's like if, it, if it just if you just say that you will be the darling of the nba media again okay now the sponsorship whatever that might go away i don't know what these hedges are you know what they're what they dip yeah. their hands into but listen 
you can make a lot with just a single tweet or a single Instagram story. So keep that in mind. He he can't do it. You know why? Because he signed with Jordan and you know Jordan's in bed with the hedge funds. You just know it. You know the cigar says guy. it all. Yeah, you the know the cigar says guy. it all. All right. Well, oh, man. Well, why don't you kind of uh yeah, absolutely up well you know if you've made it this far, I know that this conversation has gone everywhere, but this is what you would get with the two of us, with myself and Omar. This is just what we would talk about in the basement. We're not here to sugarcoat everything. I know that we're not the most knowledgeable in absolutely everything that we talk about, or but this is what, or anything, but this is what you get from the session, the basketball podcast. It's us two best friends having a great conversation about what interests us. And this is what keeps us going. And this is what motivates us. So as per usual, we are always on Instagram at the session ball. Again, that's at the session ball. Give us a follow, interact with our posts. We're always monitoring it and we love answering any questions or anything of that nature. On YouTube, we are The Session, a basketball podcast where you can see our very pretty faces. So consider checking us out on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe, like the video, and hit that notification bell. We will see you in the next episode. Peace.